I'm going to read, um, actually, I'm just going to read chapter 13 of Genesis, chapter 13 of Genesis. I will allude to, well, I'll go ahead and read the last part of Genesis 14 as well. This is God's word. This is the book of Genesis beginning in verse 1 of chapter 13. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of their dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At the time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left, then I'll go to the right. If you take the right, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This was before the Lord had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners, Against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the, mox, the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. And in the first 16 verses of chapter 14 are about this great battle that involves most of what we know today as the Levant or the Middle East. It's this massive kind of World War I, as it were. At the end of that battle, Abram has won in verse 17. We pick up the reading. After his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him, Abram, at the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he, Melchizedek, blessed Abram and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Aner and Eshcol and Mamre take their share. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me before we look at these verses. Our God, we 
dial back the time clock to these ancient stories, the story of Abram and Lot in the misty dawn of history. We pray, Lord, that these uh, men, particularly Abram, as he followed you by faith, that they would encourage us, they would guide us, but most of all, they would point to where they looked, which was to the promise that is you, not to their own faith, not to their own resources, but to you. Give us the faith of Abram, looking to trust in you. Pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. I was a history major in college. I've probably mentioned that. And I uh, love, I love biographies. And I love biographies of all stripes. And I think a reason I love biographies is I like to see how the women and men of history have responded to uh, everything that comes their way. The adversity, the successes, the failures, everything that comes their way. I love, I'm planning in the next couple months to read a new biography of George Washington that's come out. I mean, George Washington, who was in many ways a failed military leader during the Revolutionary War, he wasn't a great general in many ways. He just kind of survived and moved on but he becomes the revered first president of our country. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, you know, who lost. He was kind of a failed lawyer. He had a tough marriage in 1858. He lost his Senate race, and he arguably becomes our greatest president. Maybe my favorite is Winston Churchill. I love Winston Churchill. Uh, Profound failure in World War I, uh, the mess that was the Dardanelles. You can read about it, even his years in the political wilderness. I mean, uh, Churchill failed so many times, but then, of course, he rose to great prominence and in many ways saved Western civilization. So the first two months of the year, though, we've been looking at this character. I love Abram, the story, this biography, as it were, in Genesis chapters 12 through 25 of the man who is called Abram. He becomes to be called Abraham in later chapters. And his life was a wild ride. Okay, God comes to him when he is a moon-worshipping pagan in Mesopotamia, basically think modern-day Iraq, and God says, follow me to the land of promise, and Abram picks up and he follows. Amazing act of faith. But as we saw last week, one of the first things he faces is a famine. There was a famine in the land, chapter 12, verse 10. There's scarcity. And so last week we saw that Abram fled to Egypt, and in Egypt his faith failed. In Egypt his faith failed. Instead of trusting God, He sells out his wife. He sells out his wife to save his own skin. It's really an ugly story to think about. He sells his wife out to save his own skin. But you know, oftentimes the test of faith, the test of faith is how you respond, how you respond after you have failed, after you have failed. Uh, Perhaps you have uh, drank too much and done something you regret. You have clicked on something or watched something that you should not have. You have spoken an unkind word to someone that you love, you've put someone down in a sly way, gossiped, made it felt, you felt good for the moment, but you know that you hurt someone's reputation. You were judgmental. We all do this. We all do these things. How do you handle, how do you handle when your faith fails, when you sin? You know, to be a Christian is to learn to live with your failures of faith. Uh, you know, I've said this many times, I'll say it many times more. There's no such thing as a faithful Christian. There's only a faithful God. How do you handle your failure? Well, the other thing that I love about biographies is responding to success and prosperity. How do you, you responding to failure is important, but how do you respond to success, to prosperity? Um, many of you know that I'm an Alabama football fan, and this was another good week for Alabama football fans. In the last 12 years, in the last 12 years, Nick Saban has led the Alabama Crimson Tide to six national championships, 50% of the last 12 years, national champions. I'm fascinated. I'm, I'm a fan But more than that, I'm just fascinated by sustained success. How do you keep that level of success? You see, last week we saw Abram facing the test of famine. We saw him facing the test of scarcity. 
Well, this week we see Abram facing the test of prosperity. Verse 2 says he is very rich. <laughs> okay? And then verses 5 and 6 of chapter 13, look with me, I'll read them. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. Abram has this terrible problem. He's too rich. This is his problem. He has the test of prosperity. He is too rich. Okay? Let me summarize what happens here. Uh, Abram and Lot have so many cattle that their herdsmen start to feud with one another over the land. Okay? And because oftentimes you see this in your life, even as you watch people in business, that the test of prosperity really quickly becomes the test of unity. How many times have you known or watched as business partners start off fine, they're unified when the business is getting started. But then when you start adding zeros to the revenue line or the income line, that is when the lawsuits start to multiply. The test of prosperity often leads to the test of unity. But Abram does not want trouble, as we'll see this morning. It responds faithfully in verses 9, 8 and 9. He says to Lot, basically, you go, pick the land. Where do you want to go? I'll go the other way. You pick where you want to go. And Lot chooses the fertile-looking land. It's most likely because it's irrigated, which would have reminded him of his time in Egypt and the Nile River. Turns out that Lot chooses a bad group of people to be associated with. Verse 13 says the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Okay? So the land has been divided. Let me summarize chapter 14 real quick. Chapter 14, many, like, it's, like, it's almost like a history of World War I. It's, uh, it's this great, the, the kings of the east really come from all the way far across the Fertile Crescent. If you can imagine your mind's eye, all the way to where modern Iraq is. These kings have come all the way over to what is modern day Israel. Probably maybe because of the wealth that they hear of. Uh, and they come all the way across and they attack and they subjugate the people, including Lot in his new hometown of Sodom. They, they're fine with this, Lot and his people, for about 12 years. But then they rebel and so the kings of the east come back and they crush they crush all of these cities. They crush the rebellion. And in the process of this, Lot is taken captive. At which point, Abram asserts himself as the true king of the land, as the protector of Abram, his kinsman. And he goes with 318 men. He tracks down Chedorlaomer, one of my favorite names in the Bible, Chedorlaomer. And uh, if you want to make cheese, uh, Chedorlaomer. And he, and he rescues and he rescues a lot. Okay? And then there's this mysterious uh, uh, interaction with the king of Salem, Melchizedek. Okay? Now, Abram's response in all these situations really pictures his faith growing. I want to be very clear. I'm going to say this a couple of times. Abram is not the hero, okay? God is the hero. Abram is not the hero. But I do think there are things we can learn from Abram's growing faith. His faith is growing. If you were with me last week, I used the image of, of, of leaning into the skis, that you've got, to lean, you've got to fall. I mean, he falls last week. But as you lean more and more into the skis, as you go from green to blue to black, to using a skiing elephant, you grow in your faith. So what can we learn this week from Abram's growing faith? I want to suggest three things. Excuse me, four. First, growing faith is always tested. Second, growing faith loves by dying to itself and serving others. Third, growing faith walks in the promises of God. And fourth, growing faith worships. But first, growing faith is always tested. Now again, this is the test of prosperity. We saw the test of scarcity with the famine uh, could the land produce? But now there's prosperity. Now there is riches. Scarcity has become prosperity. Very rich. Great possessions. That's verse 2 and verse 6. And the question is, can Abram keep trusting God when things are good? Can he keep trusting God when things are good? 
The test in both cases, both in the prosperity and the scarcity, is all about the land. Can Abram trust God to provide for him? Can, God, can Abram trust God to provide via the land? This is Abram's struggle. This, we'll see it again and again in the weeks to come. Can he trust God to provide for him via the land? Now, back to the story. The land is so prosperous that the two, Abram and Lot, they need to split up. And Abram allows Lot to choose, which is a remarkable act of faith. Abram had the power. He was the older person. He was the uncle. And he also, think about this, Abram had just lived through a famine. He had known what it looked like for the land to fail you. Okay, but despite that, Abram in faith gives the choice to Lot. Let's look at both Lot's choice and Abram's. In verse 9, Abram, get, Abram gives Lot the choice. And then verse 10, this is how Lot makes his decision. Read with me. And Lot lifted up his eyes, and he saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This was before Lot just, the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus, they separated from each other. Now, be clear, there's nothing wrong with choosing the good land. There's nothing wrong with making the good investment, okay? But the narrator makes clear, the narrator makes clear that Lot's motives are corrupt. He says he chose first the land like the Garden of Eden. What was the, the Garden of the Lord? What was the Garden of the Lord? What was the Garden of Eden? It was the place of temptation. And then it says he chose land like Egypt, land like Egypt, Perhaps because of the irrigation which was in the Jordan Valley at the time and which was in Egypt at the Nile River. It's the illusion of stability and security. You see, friends, Lot wanted to live by sight. He didn't want to have to trust God. He wanted the blessings of Eden without the God of Eden. He wanted the security of Egypt without the God of Israel. He wanted to live by sight. And so he chose accordingly. As he'll find out, those things are corrupt and insecure. And he was growing more and more isolated. If you follow Lot through the story of Genesis, he becomes this sad and more sad figure. Isolated, unloved, and ultimately cut off. But that's in total contrast to Abram who lives by faith. He trusts God to provide. He says, take whichever land, I'll take whatever. And he takes the, despite being the person with the power... He takes the lesser land. It's remarkable. But I want to see not so much focusing on Abram right now, but let's focus on what God. What is God doing with Abram? Again, he's testing Abram. He's tested him in, in scarcity, in famine. Now he's going to test him in prosperity. It seems like God keeps taking Abram back to the land, back to the land, back to the land. He's taking him to the same place of struggle. In many ways, the struggle of the rich man is the same as the struggle of the poor man. Can I trust God to provide? And so this morning, where is God testing you? And I'm just going to go ahead and make an assumption because I know it's true in my life and everybody that's close to me. Wherever God is testing you, it's the place he's been testing you all along. It may look different. Now you may have prosperity. Now you may have scarcity. But God seems to kind of know where we're weak. All of us have different stories. All of us have different temptations. You know, I, was, I went back and read uh, the prayer of confession this morning as we were reading it this morning. And it says, you know, we confessed our pride, our lust, our envy, our bitterness, our ingratitude, our unbelief. That's what we confessed. I'm willing to bet that for all of us, beneath all of those things, there's something that's kind of constant in our lives. 
One of my mentors likes to say, you've got to learn to love your story, your own story. For Abram, it was trusting God in this moment. What is it? What is it that tempts you? Because here's the, here's the good news and the bad news. I'll give you the bad news first. The bad news is it's not going away. The bad news is you're, the last week of your life, you'll probably be struggling with that underlying thing that tempts you now. Here's the good news, though. God is with you. And you can grow. Because one of the beautiful things about the story of Abram is we see him grow in his faith. His terrible failure from chapter 12 becomes his great act of faith, as we'll see in weeks to come in chapter 22. You're going to go with it all your life. But God is faithful and as he walks with us. So we see that growing faith is tested and it's most likely tested in the place that it's always tested, wherever that is for you, wherever the chink in your armor is. But second... Growing faith puts community or others over itself. Let me now read verses 8 and 9. Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we're kinsmen. It is not the whole land before you separate yourself from me. If you take the left, then I'll take the right. If you go to the right, I'll take the left. Now, Abram is clearly determined to remove the root of bitterness between he and Lot at a very great cost to himself. You take the good land. You take what is good, he is saying, so that we might have peace. Now, Abram makes it clear to Lot that what motivates his behavior, what motivates his behavior is the end of verse 8. For we are kinsmen. We are brothers. We are united. The next verse talks about, it talks about the Canaanites and the Perizzites. What the author is trying to highlight is that this is, a, this is a place where there's a lot of bad folks out there who don't want us to be unified. They want to divide us. And he's saying what matters most is that we are brothers, we are sisters, we are kinsmen, okay? Now this principle is carried into the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul tells the Corinthians there should not be lawsuits between two Christians, there is so much that is against us in the world that seeks to divide us, we can't be against one another. The Apostle Paul goes on to say, why not suffer wrong? Are you willing to suffer wrong at the hands of, your, of, of other Christians? Are you willing to be defrauded? And here Abram is willing to suffer wrong. So when it comes to dealing with other Christians, are you willing to lose the argument? Maybe you're even willing to lose a little bit of money because of we are kinsmen, we are brothers, we are sisters. Now the thing about Abram's faith that God would provide, it produced in him a great wisdom and a great generosity. Because he trusts God, because Abram trusts God, he is able to be sacrificially generous. Sacrificially generous. He is, he's sacrificially generous. And that's always a good measure of faith. Not just being generous. It's hard to know if somebody's generous. But are they giving to their own hurt? And Abram here is giving to his own hurt in his generosity. So that's what we see Abram giving of himself in chapter 13 to Lot. But how about chapter 14? Okay, let's go fast forward to chapter 14 just a little bit. Now remember, Lot has taken the better land and he's settled with a rowdy group of people, a rowdy group of people, the Sodomites, and they get overrun and Lot is captured. Now put yourself, imagine you're Abram, put yourself in his position in chapter 14. You've given this young punk, your nephew, Lot, the better land, the better investment. And now he squandered it by taking up with some bad characters. And now he's sitting, because of his bad choices, in a foreign jail. What would you do? I tell you what, I i tell you what I do. He, he can learn his lessons. He, he, Lot, you need to learn your own lessons. Take care of yourself, okay? 
How would you treat Lot? Ian Duguid points out that when we give to other people, whether it's our time or our money, oftentimes what we're asking, whether we're giving our time to a friend or our money to a charity, we're often asking two questions. Two questions. Do they deserve this? And will it inconvenience me? Now, in Abram's case, Lot neither deserved Abram's intervention, and it certainly was a huge inconvenience. Abram was risking his life, the life of his men. He was risking the life of his reputation, becoming a stench in the nostrils of his neighbors. But he does it. It's almost like he rejects the return on investment. It's like it's a, there's no good in this for Abram. But you are my kinsman, and so he does it. And friends, here's the lesson. You see, as faith grows, as faith grows, it more and more resembles the character of God. Let me say that another way. As faith grows, it more and more resembles the gospel of Jesus Christ. As faith grows, it looks more and more like the gospel. Because what is the gospel? Is that we did not deserve the love, the grace, the intervention of God. And it was certainly inconvenient for God to send forth His Son or for Jesus to take on flesh to die for our sins. We neither deserved it, and it was a great inconvenience to God. But as faith grows, it starts to look more like this, right? Giving to the undeserving, giving to people at great cost and inconvenience to ourselves. We tend to think of our faith as something up here that we believe. But faith is something that we live. It is something that we do. And as our faith grows, it more and more resembles the character, the actions of God, the gospel of God. Jesus Christ. Does our faith look more and more like the gospel, growing in generosity, growing in a willingness, a willingness to be inconvenienced, to put other people above ourselves? So we've seen that growing faith is tested and that growing faith puts others ahead of itself. Third, growing faith walks in the promises of God. Let me read beginning in verse 14. I love this picture. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes, Abram, and look from the place where you are. Look northward and southward, eastward and westward. All the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be outed. Arise, walk through the land, and the the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. Now, this is the original walkabout. You know, the walkabouts the aboriginals in uh, Australia do. They walk, they just kind of start walking. This is the original walkabout. God says, look around you. This is the land I'm giving you. Now I want you to walk through it. And if you can count the dust that's under your feet as you walk, that will be the number of your offspring. Now, imagine being Abram, okay? Put yourself in his shoes for just a moment. You have separated from your kinsmen. You've separated from Lot. You no longer have him. You are still childless. You still don't have an heir. You still don't have an offspring. And yet you're walking through this land where you are considered an alien, where you are a stranger, where these people want to view you as their enemy. He walks through the land with nothing but the promise of God. He walks the breadth of the land with nothing but the promise of God, believing that God would give him the land, give him an heir, and make it all come true. Which is to say he's walking by faith and not by sight. Friends, the Christian conviction is that one day God will return in the person of Jesus and put the world to rights. He will make everything that is wrong and he will make it right, just, loving, merciful. And friends, the more we believe that promise, 
the more we can walk in this world with joy and hope. The more we believe that promise, the more we can be secure in this world. The hope, the joy that we have to come can inform our lives today. It's what I called a few weeks ago a gospel buoyancy. As we believe the promise, we are lifted by that promise. Even as we walk through a world that's difficult, and it seems to be getting more difficult by the week. Now, at the end of his walkabout, at the end of his walkabout in verse 18, Abram moves to Hebron. And there, what does he do? He builds an altar, he worships. Because above all else, a growing faith worships. A growing faith worships. Now, worship, at its simplest, I like the definition, it's so simple. Worship is worth-ship. Calling something worthy, calling something that is greater than ourselves worthy. Worship is just saying God is greater than I am. Worth-ship, giving worth to it. Okay, saying something is great. And faith is always motivated by something greater than itself. It is so easy for us to think of faith, faith as something that's within us. But what's most important about faith is what it looks to. And faith lifts its eyes, lifts its eyes, and it looks to God most high. It looks to God. The point is not what is in your, what about inside of you. The point is what is your faith in? What do you trust in? And Abram worships, and he shows his faith in God. For our faith to grow, we must worship regularly in plenty or in want, in wealth or in famine, in prosperity or in scarcity. Let me say two things about that worship. You need to be in Lord's Day worship every week, being with God's people, singing God's hymns, singing God's prayer, praise, hearing God's word preached, eating the Lord's Supper. So whether you're at home joining online, in the West Hall, or in this room, you need to be in God's worship with God's people every week. But also... We need to be personally worshiping every day. Every day. Not just the Lord's Day with God's people, although that's super important, but also every day. Reading God's Word. Praying. And let me just say something. And that is that you actually need to worship. You need to, to pray and hear God's Word before you turn on your phone and look at the current events of the day. Okay? Let me tell you about what's going to happen this week. This week's going to be an unsettling week in our country. I think this display of force will be enough that there won't be violence, but we don't know, right? And if you're like me, you're going to go to bed anxious on Tuesday night, and the inauguration's Wednesday. You're going to go to bed anxious on Tuesday night, and you're going to go to bed anxious on Wednesday night, wondering what's going to happen overnight in our country, right? When you get up Wednesday morning and then again on Thursday morning, you need to have read God's word. You need to have prayed, centered yourself on the promise before you turn on your phone. Okay? Because before you can enter into that reality of our world, which you've got to enter into, you need to enter into. Center yourself on what is true, the eternal promise. So especially this Wednesday morning and this Thursday morning, make sure you personally worship the risen king. Because let me tell you, friends, the king is not Donald Trump and it's not Joe Biden. They ain't the king. He is the king, and we walk through the land with the promise, holding on to the promise. And we need to remind ourselves we need to worship every Lord's Day together and every day with ourselves and with our families. I mean, the thing that's interesting to me, I wish we had one more week in this series because I could talk more intensely about Genesis 14 because Genesis 14 is like world history, okay? It, goes all, it stretches all the way over from, if you can imagine your mind, Israel all the way over to modern-day Iraq. That's, that, that's the land that's encompassed in Genesis 14. It's, like a, it's a brief history of the world in this massive battle, chapter 14. 
But all these movements of kings and, you know, all these people moving and, you know, there's, there's, there's you know, uh, armies on the move and, and plunder being taken, these massive kings. But you know what's most important in Genesis 14? The faith of Abram. The faith of Abram. He is at the center of the story, not the world history, not the current events. Do we walk holding on to the promise, worshiping the God who gives it to us? So in this Lord's Day, where is your faith being tested? Identify it. Is, it. is it a place of scarcity? Is it a place of prosperity? Maybe it's unity. Maybe it's adversity. Maybe it's unrest in your home or in your work. Where can you find opportunities to put other folks over yourself, die to yourself? And what does it look like for you to walk in the promises of God? What does it look like for you to worship? Now, here's the deal. Again, I want to say this again. You will fail. <laughs> You won't believe. You'll get all nervous and anxious about what's happening in our country and our world. It, you're going to fail, just like Abram will fail. He failed last week. He's going to fail in weeks to come. But are you setting your eyes on Jesus? Because let me give you a summary of my sermon with Jesus as the subject of the outline. Because you see, Jesus was very much tested in his faith. He was tested by Satan in the wilderness. He was tested by living this life. He was tested by friends who deserted him, denied him, and betrayed him. And he was tested on the last days of his life when he prayed to his heavenly father, let this cup pass from me. He was tested. But Jesus learned to put community over self. He loved the world so much so that he became one of us. He lived for us. He died for us. But Jesus doesn't just put, himself over, put, put him, him, us over himself. He also walks in the promises of God. He was willing to be forsaken by God because he believed that God could raise him from the dead, and he did. He trusted the promises. And because he's done those things, he is the object of our worship. And so with angels and archangels, we can fall down and say, worthy is the lamb, worthy is the king who was slain, who gave himself for us. You see, Abram had a growing faith because he looked to that God. And my encouragement to all of us this week is to look to that God who leads us, who goes before us, who is with us, and who will not let us go, no matter what comes our way. Let me pray for us. Our God, we thank you that you have given the promise and that you are true to your word and you have sealed it with the blood of your own son. And we pray that this week and all weeks we would walk holding on to, looking to the promise. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen.